Welcome to today's edition of the Rush 24-7 Podcast. Uh, do I have this right, folks? It looks like Barack Obama is endorsing the Trump economy by asking to take credit for it or claiming to. And if Obama's out there saying that this is his economy, then he's endorsing it, right? Now, Obama had nothing to do with this economy. Anybody lived through the Obama years knows it, and we're going to demonstrate it today. We've got the audio sound bites of Obama telling people in Ohio, your jobs are not coming back. Of Obama saying, what's he going to do? Just wave a magic wand? Where's he going to get these jobs coming back? Obama didn't think this was possible. Obama didn't even want this kind of economy. Remember Obama and his buddies were talking about a new era of decline that only uh, courageous leftists were capable of managing. And so Now all of a sudden, Obama wants credit for this economy. What's this about? Why does Obama care all of a sudden? And does Obama realize what he's doing here? Obama is endorsing Trump's economy. He's not bashing it. He's asking to be given credit for it. On the other hand, I want do the Democrats, does the Democrat Party realize what Michael Bloomberg is doing to them? Does crazy Bernie, has he figured out yet what Bloomberg is doing? This is stunning to watch this. And all of the, you know, Bloomberg, it's obviously he has never been opposition researched. Bloomberg has bought off all opposition in his political career. The mayor of New York City buys off the media by putting them on charitable boards that, that Bloomberg money is the number one source of. He's bought off every critic he can possibly imagine in the drive-by media. And as such, there hasn't been any opposition research. But now all of a sudden there is, because the Republicans in the Trump White House are getting involved in producing all these old Bloomberg videos where he's saying some of the most outrageous, egregious, insulting, embarrassing things. These are the kind of things that people accuse Republicans of saying and being and doing that Republicans don't say and are not. It's Democrats. And here's Bloomberg running as a Democrat, and he is forcing all these Democrats to ignore what he has said about minorities, what he said about the elderly, what he has said about women. It is stunning the Democrats are allowing all of this to happen because they are so obsessed with beating Donald Trump, they'll take anybody who can do it. And I'm going to tell you crazy Bernie people something, too. You may not want to hear this, but your guy can be bought off, too. How do you think he went whimpering away so quietly in 2016? Hillary bought him a million-dollar house. Bernie Sanders can be bought. And if Bloomberg has to buy Bernie Sanders off to get the Democrat nomination, he's going to try to. And the question for you Bernie types is, will your guy be bought? Because we established yesterday, Crazy Bernie is not a fighter. He is not a brawler. He is a straight, old-line communist ideologue. And Bloomberg is coming right from Democrat Party changing the rules in the middle of the game to let Bloomberg on a debate stage. This is breathtaking. Wait till you hear some of the things that have been unearthed about what Bloomberg has said, that Democrats, African-Americans are looking the other way. They're endorsing Bloomberg. You know why? Because they can be bought. Bloomberg is buying everybody. He's buying silence. 
He's buying support. We've never seen anything like this. We've never seen this kind of money in politics. Bloomberg has already spent more than entire presidential campaigns go through. He's bought his way into the Democrat Party debate tomorrow night. And finally, Crazy Bernie has figured out (laughs) flu remnants. Sorry, folks. Uh, Crazy Bernie is, is just now finally getting a handle on this and complaining about it. What the DNC and, and Bloomberg are doing. One of Bernie's top advisors is a guy named Jeff Weaver. And he was talking to NBC News yesterday. He said to change the rules now in the middle of the game to accommodate Mike Bloomberg trying to buy his way into the Democratic nomination. That's wrong. That's just wrong. That's a definition of a rigged system. Yeah, Bernie, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to be a victim of it twice. And I think it's amazing how slow on the uptake these people are. Now, why is Bloomberg doing Bloomberg is so insidiously jealous of Trump. You can't. You do not doubt me. You can't under You can't fathom it. He is so jealous of Trump that he's willing to spend more than you and I could ever conceive of having in a bid to unseat Trump. And the Democrats, if they go ahead, if they follow through and this guy gets their nomination, you wait. This is going to tear that party apart. It's going to destroy everything they've ever claimed to be. Pro-African-American, pro-women, pro-gay, because Bloomberg has come out. He's the biggest misogynist. He's the biggest racist. And he's a homophobe. And he's made no bones about it. And there's video and there's audio of the guy demonstrating it and proving it. He's even he's even joined Obama in the health care parade. Somebody shows up 95 years of age with uh, prostate cancer. Nope, we're not going to spend any money on you. You're not worth saving. Here's a pill. Go away and die. He said it. Same thing, Obama. You know, we played that audio. I don't know how many times Obama, ABC, primetime special from the White House on Obamacare before it became law. And a woman stands up and says, Mr. President, Mr. President, my, my mother is approaching 100 years of age and she's, uh, she's sick, but she really wants to live. She really wants to get the will to live. She's very happy. Uh, under your plan, will, will, will my mother get health care? Uh, no. Uh, under my plan, uh, 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 will to live ain't going to be a factor. That ain't going to matter at all. Uh, we're going to have to take a look at a number of that. In case your mother, uh, we'll give her a pill. And uh, a happy pill, uh, hearsay, that pill, go away, because and, and, uh, this is the way it's going to be. And I was stunned. I was stunned. In the United States of America, a citizen even had to ask the president, is my mother going to live? Are you going to allow my mother medical treatment to live? Imagine, imagine anybody in this country having to ask that of a leader. Instead of a doctor or instead of other members of the family. And then for the leader who's asked the question, nope, nope, uh, I, I don't think will to live. We can't start factoring things like that in medical decisions. I think, I think we'll give her a pill. And, and I, if you don't remember this, we've got the audio of this all coming up. We'll uh, demo this for you. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's stunning. So here, here's Bloomberg who is literally infiltrating the Democrat Party and is turning it upside down, poisoning it. He is single-handedly, if they, if they go to the mat defending him, if they nominate him, 
if they do whatever they can to overcome the opposition research that's sure to come on this guy, if they try to wave away the anti-women comments, the anti-black comments, the anti-whatever comments, gay comments, if if they try to wave that away, what's that going to mean for their party? Now, some of you, it won't mean anything, Rush, because hypocrite and hypocrisy never sticks to them. Uh, Yeah, that's true, and I've even said that myself, but... This is going to be – see, I think the left, the Democrats are so shaken by what Trump did that I don't – I think they're looking at Bloomberg as, hey, it doesn't matter. Trump, we all know the Access Hollywood video. We all know what Trump said when he came down the escalator on June 15th to announce his candidacy. If that guy can get elected, then Bloomberg certainly can. So I think the Democrats are looking and misunderstanding how Trump got elected – they're misunderstanding how Trump built the bond he has with his supporters and thinking anybody can do it. And all it takes is to be outrageous. I mean, this is why they thought Evan Nadi was going to be a viable candidate. These people are so out of it. It is stunning. The party of the little guy suppose, is so out of it. Even Michael Barone has a piece here. In the New York Post, interlopers poised to take control of Democrat Party like Trump took the GOP. This is not like how Trump took the GOP. Trump didn't come in and take over the GOP by turning Republicanism upside down like Bloomberg is doing. Trump ran on, whether he knew it or not, a basically conservative agenda Ideas that were solidly backed by a whole slew of Republican base voters who had been marginalized, who had been lied to, who had been taken for granted for years by the party and its establishment. This is not the situation with the Democrats. What Bloomberg is doing is not tapping into some misrepresented or lied to element of the Democrat base. They have driven away, the Democrat Party has driven away the sane people in their party. And they're left with a bunch of ill-educated, uneducated, unemployable anarchists who are obsessed with pessimism and the apocalypse. They have no God in their lives for the most part, so they're wandering aimlessly looking for something meaningful in politics, or they glom on to veganism, or they glom on to climate change, or some such thing. There isn't any comparison to what's happening in the Democrat Party in this primary, and Trump, and the Republican Party in 2016. Trump has backed up his ideas with action. He has implemented them in the form of his agenda. Good results. Democrats have not done that. And this is not even about an agenda. The Democrats are so discombobulated, it doesn't matter. They'll nominate anybody they think can beat Trump and then deal with what they've done later. But there's no set of ideas propelling any of this. In the case of Bloomberg, it's jealousy and rage. In the case of Democrats, it's anger and frustration. They haven't been able to get rid of Trump. Speaking of which, and we're going to be digging into details of all of this as the program unfolds. I'm setting the table here for you. Story from the Daily Caller, President Trump threatens to sue everybody over the Mueller investigation or Roger Stone trial. And I'm going to tell you, this is exactly right. 
Here's the story. Trump tweeted on Twitter, uh, threatened on Twitter today to sue everyone involved in Mueller's Russia investigation and the trial of Roger Stone. Trump, I'm just going to, Trump is exactly right about this. These were Mueller prosecutors, these four that resigned in a so-called huff. It was nothing more than theatrics, nothing more than a show. These were Mueller prosecutors. The whole Mueller investigation was illegally set up based on a phony and now fully discredited fake dossier. That's all true. There's nothing legitimate about the Mueller investigation. There was never a crime. There was no, Look, I've been I'm blue in the face. You know this as well as I do. They lied. They forged documents. They, they made up things in the FISA court. And Trump said nothing in this is bogus, or everything about this is bogus. Nothing in this is real. Everything having to do with this fraudulent investigation is badly tainted and should be thrown out, the president tweeted. This is in reaction to the judge, uh, Amy Jackson Berman, saying she's not going to delay the sentencing phase of Stone's trial, but she might delay things because of a call for a new trial. But Trump, he said he... Said they, he ended this uh, tweet storm by saying, if he wasn't president, I'd be suing everybody all over the place. But maybe I still will. It's a witch hunt. He's exactly right about that. So we have that, uh, all of those things uh, to discuss, plus some leftovers from yesterday. And if you will pardon me, you know, I'm, I'm going to run a risk by talking about some of the heartfelt uh, pieces that have been posted and written since I announced uh, my medical diagnosis a few weeks ago. Uh, I see everything that's written. As I said yesterday, I'm never going to be able to respond to all of it, and I'm hoping that the expressed gratitude here finds its way to everybody who has taken the time to reach out to me, to try to reach out to me, or has written something for public consumption publication. It's all overwhelming, folks. It's all very humbling. Uh, it's it's very sobering at the at the same time, and it's tear jerking. I have to I have to tell you, it's tear jerking. And I, I hesitate to single one or two out because I run the risk of offending others who have written equally nice things who may not get pointed out. But I do want to mention something that was pointed out to me today. Catherine, in fact, saw this and sent me the link. It's a piece at foxnews.com, and the, it's by Peter Rosenberger. And the headline is how one call to Rush Limbaugh's show changed countless lives. And here's, I'm going to read the whole thing, but here's how it starts. More than a decade ago, I called Rush Limbaugh's show and amazingly got through. Sharing with the call screener what I wanted to talk about, he placed me on hold for more than an hour. As I saw the battery on my phone looming dangerously low, I scrambled to plug it in and held my breath while hoping not to lose the signal. Finally, the bottom of the second hour, I heard the click on my phone 
as Rush came on and said, Peter, welcome to the show. We had a lively chat. Rush seemed genuinely interested in my discussion and kept me on for nearly 10 minutes, a lifetime on his show. Asking about our work, he graciously allowed me to give out our website. Well, uh, this man is involved in... Well, just read the piece. We'll, we'll link to it at RushLimbaugh.com. I, it's, it's better read than me uh, in a brief period of time here trying to paraphrase it for you. But he talks about how the outpouring of love and support his organization got after just one call on this program has led to the changing of countless lives because of the work his charity does. And it involves prosthetics for amputees, regardless how the injuries happen. And it talks about the numerous friends that he made. It's just, just, the, just, just, just one phone call. It's, it basically it's a testament to you. It's a, it's a testament to the goodness of the people in this audience and how you have come through on every such occasion. You really ought to read this because it's, it's actually more about you than it is me. Peter Rosenberg of the Fox News dot com website the opinion section how one call a rush limbaugh show changed countless lives now quick time out we'll be back and resume right after this well here's an example i got i got emails in the break what what what, what do you mean what's bloomberg doing rush well look i'm going to detail it as a program unfolds let me give you a brief um synopsis as we said yesterday bloomberg says that farming is for simpletons that anybody can, he can teach anybody to be a farmer inside of five minutes. By the way, Mike Pence had a great reply to that using a wonderful commentary by Paul Harvey from 1978 called God Made a Farmer. I have that coming up too. Uh, Bloomberg has echoed Obama. Elderly should not get medical care. Give them a pill, give them a happy pill, and send them on their way. Uh, evidence Bloomberg told an employee, a woman, female employee, to kill it. When she announced to him she was pregnant, he'd kill it. He didn't say get an abortion. Kill it. I don't have time for these distractions. You want to work here? Kill it. He's also said that black and Hispanic males don't know how to behave at jobs. And all this is on videotape. August 2011, Bloomberg says an enormous cohort of young black and Latino males don't know how to behave in the workplace. Not to mention, if you think there's a crime that's happened somewhere, guaranteed a young black male, 18 to 26, did it. That's where you go to find the perp. This is being said as a Democrat, folks. This is, that's the point. Hang on, I've got to take a quick break again. Hi, welcome back. It's Rush Limbaugh. This is the EIB Network. Great to have you with us, folks. Telephone number, if you want to be on the program, is 800-282-2882. Okay, uh, let's start on the audio sound bites here. This will be a good way to get us some of the the, uh, the Bloomberg audio. Now, I, I, I want to explain that while you may have heard the Bloomberg audio, you haven't heard my take on it. And while you may have seen it, the video, you haven't seen or heard my take on it, uh, which I guarantee you're going to be unique and unlike anywhere else you might be watching or reading or listening uh, it is utterly fascinating to me what the Democrat Party is. You know, in fact, there's another way of looking at this. It, 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 you, you had Obama 
uh, who has talked about most Americans as bitter clingers. Uh, and then you had Hillary talking about the same group of people as a basket of deplorables. The bottom line is that the Democrat Party, the so-called champion and little guy, actually resents the little guy. The Democrat Party actually makes fun of and impugns the people that make this country work. And yet, a decent percentage of those people turn around and vote Democrat every chance they get. And Bloomberg's coming along and and basically echoing these sentiments only in stronger language. And from years and years and years ago. And nobody reported it when it happened because Bloomberg buys everybody off. Including media and including staff. But I want to start here reminding you what Bloomberg talked about yesterday in Farmers, or what was revealed that he had said. It was in Oxford University 2016. He said, I can teach anybody to be a farmer inside of five minutes. All you do, you grab a seed, you dig a hole, you plant the seed, you cover it up with soil, put some water on it, and in a little while, stand back, you got a corn stalk. In fact, grab somebody number four. I, I, I cited Victor Davis Hanson yesterday as evidence of... Uh, uh, the kind of genius and intelligence it takes to be a farmer today. And he was on with Tucker Carlson last night, who said, what do you make about these remarks from Bloomberg about how easy and simpleton-like it is to be a farmer? The idea that ancient or modern, you dropped a seed in the ground and presto, corn sprouted is ridiculous. Farmers then and now deal with weather, they deal with climate, they deal with soil chemistry, they deal with pests, they deal with man, they deal with market, they deal with government. It requires the most skill sets of any profession in the world. Today's farmers, they use GPS, computers. They're the most brilliant people I've met in the world. I lived on this farm where I'm speaking today, and then I I had a world of academics. The people that I knew that that made it in farming were so much brighter, so much more skilled than the people who were tenure professors. Now, the interesting thing is people across the country are learning of Bloomberg's comments. We don't know how widespread it is. Um, some of the drive-by media are not really going to town on Bloomberg yet because, remember, he's, he's, he owns them. You can't comprehend the amount of money this guy has spent on silencing criticism. And it's, it's been one of his modus operandi for 15 years. Um, he's got the money to do it. He lavishes it on people to keep them quiet. And that's why there really hasn't been any serious opposition research. But now it's going gonna, it's gonna to trickle out. It probably is going to explode. And people across the country are going to be privy to this. They're going to hear it. And the Democrats are not going to take that into account. They're going to they're gonna think it won't matter because any problem can be purchased. Now, Mike Pence responded to Bloomberg's insults of farmers by tweeting out a Super Bowl commercial that ran in the second half of the game in 2013. It was a Dodge Ram truck commercial narrated by Paul Harvey. And here is how that sounded. And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. 
I need somebody who can shape an axe handle from a persimmon sprout, shoe a horse with a hunk of car tire, who can make harness out of hay wire feed sacks and shoe scraps, who planting time and harvest season will finish his 40-hour week by Tuesday noon and then pain in from tractor back, put in another 72 hours so God made a farmer. Somebody who'd bail a family together with the soft, strong bonds of sharing, who would laugh and then sigh and then reply with smiling eyes when his son says that he wants to spend his life doing what dad does. So God made a farmer. Paul Harvey from 1978. That was actually used in the 2013 Super Bowl part of a Dodge Ram truck commercial uh, as the narration for the video of that commercial. Pence tweeted that yesterday with no comment in response to uh, to Bloomberg. And what everybody on the Democrat Party misses is farming is, is uh, they, they live first as only 2% of the population, so it doesn't matter. I mean, you could, you could lose all 2% of farmers and not, not hurt your electoral chances. Farmers fit the deliverance uh, model that the left and Democrats look at Southerners uh, as. And what they miss is how this resonates not just with the 2% of farmers, but with the vast majority of people in this country who have abject appreciation and understanding for everybody whose work makes life easier. And they don't cotton to people like this being insulted. And the Democrats are, are, are just totally oblivious to this. The very, the very idea that they are embracing a guy who has made repeated insulting comments about the very constituents the Democrat Party claims to champion is an indication of how out of sorts Donald Trump has made them, has rendered them. They, they are so discombobulated, they're abandoning their roots, they're abandoning their own base of voters, they're allowing somebody who hasn't even been a Democrat when he's sought elective office to come in and literally buy their nomination, and they are excited by it. And one, one of the many death knells, Hollywood, all of a sudden expressing their admiration and love for Bloomberg. And you know what that is? That's simply this phenomenon known as people sidling up to the rich no matter what. Something about the rich, people will overlook every other characteristic, bad or good, about them if they've got money. I guess on the on the pretense that somehow the rich are going to give them money, and yet the Democrat Party is the party that says trickle-down doesn't work because the rich are a bunch of selfish SOBs. And yet here they are sidling up the richest guy that's ever tried to buy political office. Here's Bloomberg. This is February 2011, New York City. Michael Bloomberg, the mayor, Republican, visiting a family, sitting Shiva on the loss of a family member. At the rate we're going, health care is going to bankrupt us. We've got to sit here and say which things we're going to do and which things we're not. You show up with prostate cancer and you're 95 years old. We should say, go and enjoy, have a nice day, lead a long life. There's no cure and you can't do anything. Society's not willing to do that yet. Society's not willing to do that yet, but it damn well ought to be willing to do it. He's talking to a family sitting Shiva. 
a Jewish family mourning the loss of a family. He goes in there and tells them, you know, we, we got to sit here and say which things we're going to do and which things we're not. You show up with prostate cancer, you're 95. We should say, go and enjoy, have a nice life as long as you can. Get out of here. There's no cure, and we're not going to do anything. For a young person, we would do something. He said, but society's not there yet. No, but that's where he wants to take us. And it's no different than Barack Obama. Let's go back to June 24th, 2009. This is the ABC primetime special questions for the president. Prescription for America. This was ABC News helping to promote Obamacare. June 24th, 2000. It's Obama's first year in orifice. Obamacare to become law to the end of 2010. And there is an audience member named Jane Sturm. And she stood up with a question. She said... My mother is now over 105, but at 100, the doctor said to her, I can't do anything more unless you have a pacemaker. I said, go for it. My mother said, go for it. But the specialist said, no, she's too old. But when the other specialist saw her, saw her joy of life, her will to live, he said, I'm going for it. That was over five years ago she got the pacemaker. My question to you, Mr. President, Outside the medical criteria for prolonging life for somebody who is elderly, is there any consideration that can be given for a certain spirit, a certain joy of living, a will-to-live quality of life, or is it just a medical cutoff at a certain age with your health care plan? I don't think that we can make judgments based on people's spirit. That would be a pretty subjective decision to be making. I think we have to have rules that say that we are going to provide good quality care for all people. End-of-life care is one of the most difficult sets of decisions that we're going to have to make. But understand that those decisions are already being made in one way or another. If they're not being made under Medicare and Medicaid, they're being made by private insurers. At least we can let doctors know, and your mom know, that you know what, maybe this isn't going to help. Maybe you're better off not having the surgery, but taking the painkiller. That's your Democrat Party. Now, and these are the people that have claimed to have all of the love and compassion for their fellow citizens, for their fellow man. And they nominated Obama. He got elected and they passed his health care plan with him saying things like this. Don't be surprised if Democrats don't hold any of his Bloomberg stuff against him. I guarantee you they're not. I guarantee you African-American politicians are, are going to look the other way at every racist comment Bloomberg's ever made. Women in the Democrat Party are going to look the other way at every misogynist, anti-woman comment he's ever made. Because they're a bunch of phony baloney, plastic banana, good time rock and roller hypocrites who are motivated by only one thing, and it's got nothing to do with you or this country being better or improved. They are motivated by their hatred for Donald Trump and their desire to get rid of him, and they will pay anybody anything and suffer anything if somebody can come along, in their opinion, and beat Trump. And that's what we're up against. Quick time out, back with more after this. Greetings. Welcome back, Rush Limbaugh, serving humanity simply by showing up. All right. You know the name Doug Schoen. Doug Schoen was a Clinton pollster back in the day. He's been a commentator at Fox News for the longest time. And he has been absent Fox News for a while. And the reason for that is he's been hired by Doomberg. 
He's a pollster for Doomberg. Doomberg is hiring people like you can't. He's hiring every potential critic and putting them on the payroll. He's donating to their charities. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, folks, you've never seen anything like this. We haven't. And we think the Kennedys were bad. This guy is making the Kennedys look like Bob Cratchit in A Christmas Carol. All right, so here's Doug Sean. This was, um, I guess, this afternoon Fox Business Channel, Neil Cavuto's Coast to Coast show. And uh, question, Doug, when you hear stuff like these old tapes of Mayor Doomberg coming out, almost like a Pez dispenser, you say, oh, boy, I got a tough day today. These are all the videos. What do you say about women? What do you saying about African-Americans and Hispanics? What are you saying about abortion, all this stuff? And here's Doug Schoen's answer to Opponents it. Opponents across the board are doing everything they can to hit Mike. Some of what is being released is taken out of context. Some of it is a straightforward assessment, analysis of difficult problems, and some of it, like his advocacy of stop and frisk, he is repudiated, he's apologized for it. You know, I don't think the voters sit the way we do, parsing every release of every tape, trying to judge what he said 10 years ago in the context of today. I I think that's, at this stage, entirely true. Now, I, I love to be wrong, but, you know, you, pre, you, can, you can gauge public opinion in a number of different ways. And I just, I don't think, it, I don't think it's going to matter. I, I, to, to Democrat voters, I don't think any of this is going to matter. They're a bunch of hypocrites from the get-go. They always have been. And the, the stuff that Bloomberg is saying here is what most of them believe anyway. That's the dirty little secret about all this. Bloomberg is not saying things that are really counter to what the Democrats believe. This is what they say. This is what they believe. They just have never been honestly reported on. And so it's, it's, it's not within the Democrat voter base. This isn't causing any kind of a stir. Plus, it isn't being widely disseminated in the first place. Yeah, the drive-by media not playing a lot of these videos. So how many Democrat voters even know? Uh, here's Lori, Apple Valley, California. We started on the phones. Great to have you. Hi. Hi. Good afternoon. Kind of a, a change in your in your topic that that you were talking about. But um, as far as agriculture goes, I think I think Bloomberg has really alienated a lot of Democrats. Um, the USDA has got a lot of people that that had spent a lot of time in college and the NRCS, I mean, they're, they're, those, they're all Democrats. And, and for him to be so condescending at, at, about how our, our heartland pro- provides for our country is, is pretty unbelievable. Well, it is, but you, 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 are you seeing this reaction, this negative reaction to what Bloomberg has said? Or are you just thinking that it's naturally going to occur? Uh, I, I, my family lives in Nebraska, and they've all expressed the condescension about his comments. Uh, I have family in Kentucky, and they've all expressed displeasure about you know how how he's how he's basically been so condescending to what is it, 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 that that's what supports our country. How do how do you go into your freezer and you open up a bag of frozen corn? That didn't just happen well understand that's the point uh he belittles it 
He ridicules it. Most Democrats do, Lori. Most Democrats think farmers are hicks. Most Democrats think farmers are a bunch of hasty, except Democrat farmers, of course. I think most farmers live and work in the dirt. That's very unsophisticated. And they think most farmers are contributing to climate change and global warming because they're not doing it the right way. The Democrat Party is one of the most misunderstood hate groups in this country today. Quick time out. We'll be back after this. Don't go away. Nancy Pelosi is still bothered by the fact that I was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom during the State of the Union address. He was on CNN with Chris Gentleman for complaining and whining and moaning about it. What has it been? Two and a half weeks. When does a State of the Union address last two and a half weeks? When I am part of it. It's amazing. Let you hear the soundbite. We get back. And welcome back. Great to have you with us, my friends. This is the EIB Network. And Rush Limbaugh, we are here at 800-282-2882. If you want to be on the program, the email address, lrushbow at eibnet.us. So, now the State of the Union, this is, uh, tomorrow's going to be, no, today's, this is Wednesday, State of the Union was, uh, what is it, two weeks ago, two weeks ago yesterday, okay, and it is still being talked about. Now, what State of the Union address can you recall that had a lifespan of two weeks? Many presidents give State of the Union speeches, and there's reaction that night, the next day, then uh, the next series of news events overwhelming, people forget it. Nancy Pelosi still upset about what happened at the Trump State of the Union two weeks ago. She sat down for an interview with Christiana Manpour, still talking about it two weeks later. Once again, proving when has a State of the Union show been talked about this much? Only when I am part of it. So Christian Amanpour says, I just want to ask you, when you ripped up the president's State of the Union address, did Vice President Pence say anything to you? No, he may he may not have known. He was just looking straight at the president. I was very disappointed in the fact that the president used the chamber of the House of Representatives, the People's House, as a backdrop for a reality show, giving the presidential medal to Rush Limbaugh. But that's something he should do in his own office. When he started talking about a person so respected in our country diagnosed with cancer, we thought he was going to be talking about John Lewis. And even if he's talking about Rush Limbaugh. The great congressman, civil rights leader. Civil rights leader, yeah. And even talking about Rush Limbaugh as being sick has our sympathy. Forgive him medal of freedom, no. No, of course not. Medal of freedom, no, it's still got him discombobulated. They can't see straight over it. And still talking about it. And Pelosi is still using it. You realize what an honor it is for me to be the reason she ripped up Trump's State of the Union? In addition to everything else, to have the ability to discombobulate these people to this extent that two weeks later their noses are still out of joint about it? Just, just amazing. You know, the, the piece that I mentioned in the first hour... That is running on foxnews.com today. The opinion section, Peter Rosenberger, how one call to Rush Limbaugh show changed countless lives. There's a, there's a, there's a, uh, 
a paragraph here that I want to share with you from Mr. Rosenberger's piece. And it's something that many of you say to me when I have the occasion to meet you. It remains astonishing how many people despise Rush Limbaugh while admitting they never listened to him. That has been a 31-year phenomenon, folks. I don't know the answer to it. I can tell you why. I can tell you. I've said to my friends, I said, outside of the people who know me and outside of the gazillions of people who listen to me, the people that don't live, my reputation is shot. I'm not even saying whether deservedly or undeservedly, it is shot, and that it, it's it's for one reason, and it is the media. I mean, people that have never heard this, and it's not just this program. A lot of people haven't heard. There are a lot of people never see a movie that tell you what they think about it based on what they've been told or a review. There are people who have never watched Fox News who think that it's daily Adolf Hitler claptrap. Because this is what CNN and others in the New York Times and media tell them about it. And it's it's always amazed me that there hasn't been a degree of curiosity among people. Now, you've heard people call here who have been in this group. They never listened and they thought I was X, Y, and Z. Then they listened to the program and were shocked and stunned. There's been a lot of that over the And there's a lot of that that happens with, with Fox News and, and with other... Um, impugned and maligned personalities out there. But what it is, it's it's the way the left operates rather than enter the arena of ideas and start debating the ideas that I believe in. They simply attempt to discredit anybody who is effective explaining opposition ideas. Rather than debate, rather than try to prevail in a debate, rather than try to win in the arena of ideas, just discredit the people. That you disagree with. And that's that's what they do. And that's why the great uh, dichotomy. And but folks, this is why I've always said that it is it is all of you who get me through. You know, nobody's raised to want to be hated. Just the exact opposite. Everybody's raised to want to be loved. In fact, people are raised to want to be loved so intensely that people screw themselves up trying to be loved. They try to become what they think everybody wants them to be rather than being themselves. And if you're never yourself, if you're always trying to figure out what somebody wants you to be or what somebody expects you to be, you're never going to have any real intimacy with anybody because they're never going to get to know you. It's, it's, it's a fact of humanity. It's a fact of life. Everybody wants to be loved. We'll do whatever it takes to be loved. People are be, become imprisoned by what other people think of them. And I... Fortunately, I would not have lasted this long if I hadn't been able to get past that. If I hadn't been able to get past what people thinking of me, particularly negatively, and if I hadn't learned to take that as a sign or a indicator of success. But see, that's what's psychologically tough because nobody's raised that way. Nobody's raised, son, when they hate you, that means you're really kicking ass. When they hate you, you're doing... Nobody's raised that way. Uh, but when it happens to you, that's what's... Oh, it just means that you're effective. Don't sweat it. It just means that they don't know how to deal with it. They tell, when, when it happens, they give you that excuse. But nobody's raised that way. 
And so it has been all of you, knowing you're there, knowing you know the truth, knowing you know it's all bogus, knowing you in this audience, when you see these ridiculous claims made about me or others who do what I do, you know it isn't true. You stand by us anyway. Your, your, your loyalty is constant and is 100%. That's what gets me through. That's what enables me in, in many ways and in large part to uh, persevere and just be able to look the other way at it and ignore it. I don't know them. They don't know me. So why does it matter what they think anyway? And it hasn't affected uh, business in any way, shape. Well, they've tried, but we have overcome every attempt that they have made. Now, I want to get back. Let's see. Um, audio sound. But I made the point in the previous hour talking about Bloomberg that the things that he is saying, and and just, just to review, I'm going to give you the... Um, Pardon the sniffles. Again, it's it's flu remnants. This is just a synopsis of some of the things. Farmers are simpletons. He could teach anybody to do it. The elderly? Nah, I'm not going to give you medical care. It's not worth it. You're old. You're going to die. Get out of our way. We'll give medical care to the young. Female employee goes to Bloomberg says, I'm pregnant. He says, kill it. You want to keep working here? Kill it, meaning abort it. He said, kill it. Black and Hispanic males don't know how to behave at jobs. On uh, on stop and frisk, he said, look, in New York City, if there is a crime committed, the odds are it's by a 16 to 28-year-old African-American or Latino male. So that's where you need to go to find the perp. Now, some may say, well, Rush, what do you mean? That, there's nothing wrong with it. That's what the statistics... Yeah, but this guy's running as a Democrats. Don't talk this way. Democrats defend those people. So This guy is turning the Democrat Party upside down. This guy is turning the Democrat Party into pretzels. As they, as they defend this guy. And that's why I want to give you some, uh, some audio evidence. Last night on Laura Ingram's show... The Ingram angle of Fox News Channel. She's talking to civil rights attorney Leo Terrell. He's African-American. Said Michael Bloomberg's 2011 comments that young African-American men don't know how to find jobs, not knowing how to behave in the workplace. Leo, these, these are factual assertions he's making. If he apologizes for that, what is he exactly apologizing for? That he had wrong research? I'm not sure what he would apologize for. How would he do that, actually? Let me be very clear. I'm a civil rights attorney for 30 years. I fight against racism. And I, unlike Donald Trump, I accept Mike Bloomberg's apology. And it will not be a stumbling block to stop and frisk. And by the way, fair and balanced. Donald Trump supported a stop and frisk, and he never apologized. Mike Bloomberg apologized for it. Mike Bloomberg is stating he's gone on an apology towards towards blacks, and they have accepted it. Blacks believe Mike Bloomberg is being sincere in his apology. Why? Why? Because he's buying it, folks. He's buying these apologies. Plus, he's a Democrat. So he gets a pass for not meaning it in the first place. His apology is allowed to cleanse him with these hypocrites. The very hypocrites. And, and if Trump apologized, they wouldn't allow him to get away with it. That's why Trump doesn't apologize as a matter of philosophy. Trump's attitude is you never apologize. Never. 
At no time do you ever apologize. But even if he did, these same people, he doesn't mean it. He doesn't mean it. He's just trying to lessen the negative reaction. He doesn't mean it. That's what they would say. But with Bloomberg, he can go out and he can say more vile, disgusting, racist stuff than anything they could ever accuse conservatives of saying or even thinking. And he'll get a pass because he's a Democrat and he's apologized, but more importantly, he's paying people off. There's nobody who's paid people off like this. Here's another one. Gregory Meeks, Democrat, New York, CNN yesterday. Question, you've endorsed Doomberg. There were questions about stop and frisk, which he apologized for being he started this campaign. Or before he started the campaign, apologized for it. Now we're seeing comments again, which have come up before. The comments again have been attributed to him, things he was saying in the workplace. Does any of that give you any pause? I'm one of the few people that was here uh, during the 12 years that Bloomberg was the mayor. I clearly did not agree with his stop and fisk policy. I did not support him when he was running all three times. But I've listened to him and I've had a chance to talk to him. Sometimes where a person spends their money tells you where they are. In fact, when I was a kid, we had this saying, put your money where your mouth is. And I looked to see who was fighting the NRA. I looked to see where he spent his money with reference to health care, trying to close obesity, get folks off of cigarettes to be healthy. Mike Bloomberg has put his money there. He's put his money where his mouth is. See? He's buying everything, folks. Put putting money there. He bought off. I don't have to worry about his racist comments because he apologized for it and he's buying off everybody else. I don't have to be concerned about it. Gregory Meeks. Yeah, since all he has to do is be against guns and you can do anything. If he comes out against or for abortion, they'll allow him to be, say, and do anything he wants. But I, I still find it fascinating that this could very well, in the long term, corrupt a lifetime of Democrat Party foundational policy, beliefs, as they are willing to overlook the very things they say they oppose, the very things they say they are steadfastly against. They welcome this guy in. In fact, here's Jim Messina. Jim Messina is a former, let's see, he's a, I think he's a Clintonite. He was on CNN today, the co-host Poppy Harlow. He's Obama. I'm sorry, Obama campaign manager Messina. Question, Joe Biden's decline at 20 points among African-Americans in terms of national polling. Why do you think his vision for America, the vision that he crafted and cultivated for so many years with President Obama, isn't resonating right now? I think the reason that they've gone down is because Michael Bloomberg is spending tens of millions of dollars advertising to African-American voters in the early states featuring Barack Obama, right? These ads, you know, I had one African-American activist from a Super Tuesday state call me and say, Jim, why did uh, Barack Obama endorse Michael Bloomberg? And I said, he didn't. Bloomberg is just running ads all over the place, and that's why you think this. And again, money can buy a little bit of love, and that's the numbers that Bloomberg is starting to rise with African Americans. There you have it. If you don't believe me, listen to Obama's guy. He's buying it. And I, by the way, I don't mean the kind of buying I'm talking about is not just with ads. He's buying everything. He's buying everybody he can. 
It's, it's, it has been Bloomberg's modus operandi since he got into politics as mayor of, uh, of New York City. All right, brief timeout. We'll come back and resume on the phones right after this. Talent on loan from God. Your guiding light, America's real anchorman, Rush Limbaugh, here. And as promised, back to the phones to Queens. This is Sean. Great to have you, sir. Hello. How you doing, Rush? I got one thing to say. Donald Trump owns hotels and golf courses around the world. The left and the Democrats lit their hair on fire. Bloomberg owns a media empire. Don't you think the left media in our country would just line up behind his narrative push out whatever garbage he wanted about the economy, about jobs. we got a serious problem here, Rush. It's frightening when you think about what could happen if Bloomberg actually became president. What do you think? I think we would have uh, a budding autocrat. We saw evidence of it when he was mayor of New York. And I... I have to confess that I was just stunned at proposal after proposal being readily agreed to by most of the citizens of New York that just stepped right in line. Proposing a limit on the size of soft drinks? It's none of his damn business. It's none of government's business. In any way, shape, manner, form, he does it, and the citizens of New York don't even protest it. The businesses of New York don't even protest. They just all fall in line with it. And he starts talking about limiting the kind of uh, thing, butter and whatever else that people eat, starts wanting to ban this or that. And the citizens of New York do not oppose any of it. Now, I understand the citizens of New York are a bunch of leftists. They're, they're wild extremist left-wing Democrats. But New York is the city where you can do anything. New York is a city that doesn't sleep. New York is becoming one of the most prohibitively anti-free cities in the country when, when Bloomberg ran it. And they sat there like a bunch of acquiescent little farm animals and went right along with it. The guy has a basic misunderstanding of how communism works. So I would be extremely concerned about Bloomberg's uh, foreign policy. I just don't think he's very bright. And I know that cuts against the grain so strongly. Because most people, my gosh, Rush, he got more money than you. He got more money than we got more money than anybody will ever have. You can't be dumb and have that happen. And... I think there's a lot of these rich people, folks, that are, when it comes to flat-out common sense, are just idiots. Now, look at Jeff Bezos. Bezos is not. What did Bezos? Bezos just bought a $165 million property in Beverly Hills, the old Jack Warner estate. I'm told it's actually more than that that Bezos asked for the number not to be honestly reported. There were no real estate agents in this sale. It was strictly in Bezos and David Geffen. I understand it's more than that, but Bezos was worried about negative publicity. Well, sorry, once you get the 165 million, okay, what's it? 185 million, 200 million, whatever. Drop of the bucket. So you know what Bezos did next? Since we know he was concerned about negative publicity buying a house that cost that much money. Here came a news report that Bezos's house cost more than the amount of taxes Amazon will pay. 
Okay, so Bezos realizes he's got a problem. That's a PR problem. He needs people to continue to patronize Amazon and buy stuff there. He needs people using Amazon Web Services. So what does he do? He announces a $10 billion donation to fight climate change. What does that do? That buys off everybody. That buys off the leftist barbarians at the gate. It makes him a hero. He can then go out and buy a $200 million house and they won't care. He can do whatever he wants. He cannot pay any taxes and they won't care because he's just donated $10 billion to climate change. Now, how do you donate $10 billion to climate change? What do you spend it on? What, what would you think if you had... I don't care. Any amount of money to spend on climate change, what would you do with it? To actually, if you believed in all this malarkey, what would you do? Spending whatever money to reduce, what would you do? I know. You'd have no idea, do you? I'll tell you what he did with it when we get back. Something else to notice about, or, or to remember about Bloomberg, I mean, he was he was supposed to be term-limited as mayor of New York City after his second term, but he convinced the powers that be to make an exception. He bought him off. He bought him bought, bought off an end of term limits, got a third term. Uh, and guess what? This stupid new mayor they've got, de Blasio, he's not getting the exception. <laughs> Bloomberg purchased. I don't care what anybody, he purchased an exception to give him a third term after being term limited after two terms, de Blasio is not getting the exception. He's going to be term limited after two terms. And I've mentioned about, about Bloomberg and how he so grossly, grossly misrepresents and misstates the government of China as a communist government. Talks about how the leader of China has to serve his constituents and keep him happy. The fact of the matter is, there's an article at the Intercept uh, website from a reporterette says that Bloomberg tried to destroy her when she reported on how he kowtows to the Chicoms to stay on their good side. Uh, Bloomberg News, according to this info babe at the Intercept, Bloomberg News would routinely kill negative stories about China. And the Chinese government. And when this info babe reported this, she claims that Bloomberg tried to destroy her. The article, when Bloomberg News reporting on China was challenged, Bloomberg tried to ruin me for speaking out. Fact of the matter is that Bloomberg is very dependent on the vast China market for its business, Bloomberg News. And this reporter says that its lawyers, Bloomberg's lawyers, threatened to devastate my family financially if I didn't sign an NDA silencing me about how Bloomberg News killed a story critical of Chinese Communist Party leaders. Now, this is a story in The Intercept. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it at all, folks. Uh, now, back to Bezos and my question. If you had any amount of money, but let, let, let's use Bezos because he's announced 10 billion dollars to fight climate change and of course people that don't even stop thinking yay all right Ten, you ought to see the tech bloggers tech bloggers are having orgasms over it tech bloggers hate jeff bezos they hate him as they hate any successful business top of the list they hate is apple 
They, they, they but then Amazon and then Facebook, they hate them all. But man, Bezos is all of a sudden a hero. Ten billion dollars to climate change now. Do you know Bezos actually believes that Earth is a place that needs to be abandoned if the human race is to survive? He thinks Earth is a place to be visited, but not to be lived on or in. I'm not making this up. He's part of this group of rich guys who really believe this climate change malarkey is destroying the habitat. And destroying the ability for life to be sustained on Earth. It's absurd. So $10 billion. It, you know what? It doesn't matter where the money goes. All it matters is the statement, the PR release. $10 billion fight climate change. A hero. And he's just bought off all critics for anything else that he does. Now, what he's going to spend the $10 billion, I guarantee you what it's going to be. He's going to buy every scientist he can. He is going to invest in every research project that there is on Earth. $10 billion will buy you a lot of propaganda. $10 billion, he could, he, if he wanted to, he could purchase a pro-climate change curriculum and put it in every school in America. Because every school in America is walking around with its hands out. I mean from kindergarten up through high school and into college. He could fund, he could create a pro-climate change curriculum where the United States is the big problem and have it taught to every student in the country. Or he could donate it to every scientist, every university, any place doing any so-called research on this and own them. And it's his money. Don't, don't, don't miss it. He can do with it whatever he wants. But... This is the uh, reality of, of, of this supercharged wealth. The, I saw a story the other day. Also, you know, in, uh, in the United States, CO2 emissions are at a 20-year low. In other words, the, the amount of so-called climate change, greenhouse gases being produced ostensibly destroying the planet, the United States emissions are way, way down just in the three years of the Trump administration. There's also a story in the stack of stuff that in these hybrid cars, the cars that are half electric, half uh, internal, they create more CO2s and more pollution than any kind of car out there. But nobody knows it because it isn't being widely reported. Here's Bill in the Upper West Side, Manhattan. Great to have you, sir. Glad you waited. Hello. Hi, Russ. Uh, good afternoon, and God bless you, and I really mean that. Uh, three quick things to drag us back to Bloomberg. Uh, the first is, as a lifelong New Yorker, I'm not a farmer. I don't know any farmers, but I'm so incensed by his remarks that I intend to donate some money to the future farmers of America. <laughs> They'll love you. Um, the second uh, thing um, I know from the inside, my synagogue used to donate um, food that was left over from collations uh, every week to a certain senior center 
they were strong-armed by Bloomberg not to take that food because it didn't meet the Bloomberg nutritional profile for sodium. So apparently they would rather let these seniors go hungry than get this food that might have been a little high on sodium. I don't even know that's arguable. And my third point, uh, and that was interesting because the New York Times had reported it, is that uh, sometime in um, 2006, uh, Bloomberg was visiting the city's office in Albany. New York City maintains a lobbying office in Albany. And he noticed out of the corner of his eye on someone's computer screen that this guy was playing solitaire. So Bloomberg managed to get this guy fired. No warning, no, nothing, just got him fired, um, which is sort of hard to do, but he did. And I thought that was just so petty, and it just sort of sums up everything about Bloomberg. Well, he is an autocrat. It's, it's, uh, it's not a term associated with him, uh, but it's exactly, it's exactly what he is. Let me make sure I understand. You, your synagogue, donates unused food uh, for charitable purposes, and he, he, he got in the way of it claiming the food you were donating had too much salt in it, and so it wasn't permitted to be donated? Yes, because apparently that uh, senior center was also getting money from the city, so it had to subscribe to the city's nutritional standards from that point on. Why, why would he even care? These are people I, that are obviously already poverty-stricken. What could he possibly care for? I don't know, but it was written up in the in the New York Post. In fact, I'm looking at it right now, uh, March nineteenth, twenty twelve. All right, let me ask you this: You're you're Upper West Side all your life. You were you were Bloomberg three terms mayor. Do you think any of this stuff's going to matter? Do you think that it's going to have any effect on whether he gets a Democrat Party nomination or or not? Well, I hope I I really don't know because his money is just um, you know like legendary i i don't know i i I would hope that some of this breaks through you know um to people's consciousness and they they will um you know they will torpedo him for what about what what about mayor pete and what about amy klobuchar what about crazy bernie isn't it kind of up to them i mean they are the direct in line opponents of bloomberg aren't they going to have some kind of reaction to this at some point I certainly hope so, and I, you know, I have better things to do with my time, but I certainly will be watching that debate tomorrow night to see how they all start to savage him. Uh, if they do, that's, that's, he can buy any of them off is the thing. And I'm telling you, I'm going to warn you Bernie voters again. Bernie's already been shown that he's not a fighter and that he can be bought. Hillary bought him off 2016. Bought his silence after it was clear and obvious that the primary was rigged against. Basically, gave him enough money to get another house, wherever he wanted it. You, you, you wait. I, I, I this is given, given what the Democrats believe. The Democrats believe, and there's a story here that I touched on at the top of the hour, that this is nothing more than what Trump did to the Republican Party. Bloomberg is the Trump to the Democrat Party in 2020, and they're drawing this comparison, and they're dead wrong about it. There is no comparison to how Trump came in and won the Republican nomination to how Bloomberg is trying to do it. But the way the Democrats look at it is this. They think Trump is a walking disaster. 
that he got away with anything, a lot of things that normal politicians would have been destroyed by. So they think, well, it must not matter anymore. We don't need to follow the old political rules. So here comes Bloomberg, who has said all of these things in the past, documented on videotape, that fly in the face of what Democrats believe, but they think in the era of Trump it doesn't matter anymore. They are so, I'm telling you, so so out of sorts, discombobulated by Trump and their inability to get rid of him that they are resorting to accepting anybody and anything in their race who they think might be able to beat him, no matter what this guy might end up doing to their party. That's why it's fascinating for me to watch. I got Plus, it's my job, man. Back with more after this. Don't go away. All right, Trump is busy commuting sentences. He has commuted the sentence of the former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich. Grab audio sound number 22. Trump today pardoned the former owner of the San Francisco Fortuners, Eddie DeBartolo Jr. By the way, I need to explain something. Why do I pronounce it the Fortuners? Well, back when I worked at KFBK in Sacramento, the Fortuners had a radio network, and there was an announcer named Don Klein. It was his name, Don Klein. And he had to say 49ers so many times during a, for, during a game, but I'm sure it just ended up being a Fortuners. I was, I was, I, you know, I'm amazed by speech patterns. I'm a way, I'm a student of it. I'm a student of the human voice. I'm an expert, highly trained uh, specialist in the usage of the voice. And I'm fascinated by inflections and accents and the way people speak. Uh, it's like fingerprints. Everybody's different. And this guy, fan, I, 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 I couldn't do it at first. I had to really learn. I had to practice to say it the way I heard this guy do it during 49ers play-by-play radio game, Fortuners. And people around the radio station start making fun of me. They come, so you've been listening to the Fortuners lately? It's not Fortuners, Fortuners. You got to... Oh, anyway, just to explain, that's why I say it that way. I like mimicking people. Nothing against Don Klein. He was a great guy. Don't, 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 don't misunderstand. I'm making fun of anybody. Just, he does so many Fortuner games that he just had to spend his least time possible pronouncing the name of the team in the process of play-by-play. Anyway, Trump pardoned the former owner of the 49ers, Eddie DeBartolo Jr. And a bunch of NFL Hall of Famers were at the White House for the ceremony. Among them, number 80. The Hall of Fame receiver for the 49ers, Jerry Rice. I think with Eddie and what he has accomplished, what he has done on the football field, off the football field, a lot of charity work. So we talk about that. We talk about just being great, you know, trying to be the greatest of all time. And, uh, you know, I take my hat off to Donald Trump for what he did. I take my hat off to Donald Trump for pardon. Jim Brown was there and a bunch of Hall of Famers from the NFL. I take my hat off to Eddie DeBartolo Jr. was one of the most popular owners in the history of the NFL. And you know why? Because DeBartolo hung around with the players. He loved them. He was the first to charter wide body jets for big football players rather than cramming them on DC nines and stuff. And the players loved that stuff. When the, when, the, when the 49ers traveled to the East Coast, they always left on Friday. He put them in the greatest hotels. He put them in as many suites as he could get in every hotel. He had the greatest buffets, the pregame, all that. The players loved Eddie DeBartolo Jr. 
And then he got involved in a gambling scandal with the uh, with the then governor of uh, Louisiana. And, of course, the NFL back in those days would wink and nod and frown at gambling. And so DeBartolo Jr. had the team taken away from him, and his sister Denise and her husband John York took it over. And their son Jed now runs it. So it's, it's a big day for all of those. I mean, this is the Joe Montana 49ers that loved Eddie DeBartolo Jr. By the way, you know where Trump is? Trump is at Joint Base Anders. And do you know where Trump is going? Trump is going to California. Do you know what Trump is going to do in California? Trump's going out to make a campaign appearance in California. Can I take you back to June 11th of last year on this program? Audio soundbite number 13. This is me, June 11th, 2019, on this program. I think Trump ought to start going to California. I think he ought to go there once a month. I think the Republican National Committee ought to schedule a debate. In California. I think the campaign should have ads showing and highlighting the homelessness in downtown Los Angeles and pointing out that this is what happens when Democrats run things with no opposition, no checks, no balances. He's going to California. Once again, your host, instrumental in the policy of one of the most popular presidential administrations in our lifetimes. Here's Kevin McCarthy last night with Laura Ingram on Fox Question, are you going to raise a lot of money with the president? We're going to raise money, but we're also going to go there and talk about water. One of the most critical things in California. Show a real contrast. The pendulum has swung too far. These Democrat policies have made homelessness the number one issue. Absolutely. You know what got me started on this? When the Democrat primary began back last summer, homelessness in California, Los Angeles, was the rage. It was big news because Skid Row was out of control. There were, there were third world diseases that were diseases we have cured that were showing up again. And, and the mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti, got all mad that no Democrats running for president were comment on the homeless problem. And I said, Garcetti, they're not going to. It's your problem. You're on your own, buddy. They're not going to blame themselves. They're not going to, they're not going to call out that this is a Democrat problem. And that's what I said. Trump ought to go. Trump ought to go and let it be known this is what happens when Democrats run things with no opposition. With no checks and balances, this is what happens. So he's going to do it. I'm happy to see it. We'll be back after this. Apparently, a Bloomberg campaign manager got into a so-called fight with a CNN info babe. Um... just moments ago, and I don't mean to dra- dramatize this, I don't think it's that big a deal, but we have the audio soundbite coming up. The InfoBabe unhappy over Doomberg's treatment of women, and the campaign manager got into a little bit of a you know, raised voice kerfuffle with the InfoBabe and had a perfect way to buy her off, which you will hear in a moment. Greetings, my friends, and welcome back. You're tuned to the most listened to radio talk show in history, in the country, the EIB Network, and the Rush Limbaugh program here at the Limbaugh Institute for advanced studies of all things worthwhile. Our telephone number is 800-282-2882. If you want to join us, and the email address, lrushmoreeibnet.us. This song that you're hearing is a looped version, the intro, to a song by Chrissy Hind and the Pretenders called My City Was Gone. I'm calling attention to this because I haven't I haven't talked about this song in, a, in many, many moons, and I don't know how many of you know where the song is from. You just it, you so identify it with this program, understandably so, 30 plus years. 
But this song is used with the permission of one of the most legendary female performers in rock, Chrissy Hind. Her publishing company actually tried to take it away. I guess this was back in the early 90s when we were still doing the program out of New York. The publishing firm tried to take it away, and she interceded and told them effectively to pound sand that if I wanted to continue to use it, that I would have her permission to use it. Um, We negotiated a price. We pay them an annual fee for the usage of the tune. I I point this out because Chrissy Hind is out today in a story in the UK Daily Mail. And the headline, The Pretender's Chrissy Hind praises Trump for honoring Rush Limbaugh despite being a liberal herself. She's doing this because her dad loved Limbaugh, and she believes in the right to disagree. This is another reason why, but she was on WPLJ in New York when they were, Scott Shannon and the guys were asking her about this during the controversy of the, I mean, we had to, we actually had the song taken away for a period of, I think, three weeks or a month until she interceded. She was on PLJ in New York. They asked her about it. She said, I don't care. I want, if Rush wants to use it, fine with me, which totally confounded her publishing company. So we got the song back. The reason is that her dad was a huge fan of this program. Her dad's name was Melville. Nickname was Bud. And Chrissy Hines says that her late father, Melville, would have hand, would have loved Trump's presidency, would have absolutely adored Trump, and would have would have just been excited as he could be when Trump presented to me the Medal of Freedom at the State of the Union. Liberal rock star, she's a big animal rights aficionado. Of course, you know, we've had our fun with the animal rights uh, activists over the course of this program's uh, tenure. Liberal rock star Chrissy Hind shocked her fans by praising Trump for honoring the conservative radio icon Rush Limbaugh, saying her father would have been so delighted. Chrissy Hind, the lead singer of The Pretenders, wrote an open letter to Trump on Twitter yesterday in which she says her late father, Melville, would have enjoyed his presidency. He said Melville, known as Bud, was a huge fan of Limbaugh, who was given the Presidential Medal of Freedom after he announced he had advanced lung cancer. But she admitted she didn't always see eye to eye with her father. And they argued a lot, but that was okay. We didn't cut each other's heads off. Isn't that what being an American is all about? So I wanted to let you hear the actual song here. This is the open, and it, I think in the open, if I if my memory serves, it uh, it runs twenty four seconds, and we've looped it uh, to make it run about a minute to handle the show open. I'm not going to play the whole thing here, but I want you to hear the song that um, she made famous. My city was gone. It's about where she grew up in Ohio. As you will hear as the lyric line unfolds here. I went back to Ohio. But my city was gone. There was no train station. Disappeared All my favorite places 
wanted to play a portion of the song, let you know where it comes from, and to thank Chrissy Hind for her comments in the Daily Mail uh, today. The story runs today. Her open letter to Trump is actually asking for some uh, uh, leniency for Julian Assange as well, but she points out how her dad would have loved Trump, and she very much would have loved for her father to have been alive during Trump's administration and to have seen me get the distinguished Presidential Medal of Freedom. So, um, uh, well, yeah, that's that's that. Catherine sent this to me. I did. I, I didn't. I didn't find this on my own. And well, I've never. I've, I've no. I was not in New York. Well, she was at PLJ. I was not there. We our studios are right across the hall at the time. But I was not. We had moved out of there. I think we'd moved down to Florida at the time this had happened. So I have. Uh, I've never met. She was married with Ray Davies of the Kinks for a while and then some other guy. She's lived in London most of her life. But I wanted to call attention. Thank her very much for this. It's uh, it, it's very nice. Now, here is the audio soundbite that I talked about prior to the uh, previous hour ending. This is the info babe at CNN, Brianna Keeler, and she's talking to Bloomberg communication director Jason Schechter. She said, how is Mayor Bloomberg going to respond to candidates and others who are increasingly going to call on him to release women who have sued him from nondisclosure agreements? He's been sued by a lot of women. He is, folks, this guy is a misogynist like you can't believe. He insults women. He tells pregnant women to kill it if they want to stay working for him, meaning go get an abortion. And many of these women, there are many of them, they had to sign NDAs after he's paid them off. And that's what she's asking. When, when is Bloomberg going to respond to candidates and others go, who are increasingly going to call on him to release these women who he has made sign NDAs? He's going to talk about the work that his foundation has done around the world to provide access to reproductive services, make sure that women have the right to choose. The knives come out, the opposition research drops. And that's fine, by the way. It is your job to cover that. It is our job to respond to that. But what we hear from voters on the ground is very different. But why doesn't he release these women from he's, NDAs? He is said that NDAs are agreements um, between two parties. They are confidential agreements. That's not the point, though. And we think what voters care about ultimately is what is his track record. His track record is all about elevating women in the workplace. He supports Planned Parenthood. He's one of the biggest supporters of Planned Parenthood. That's what we think ultimately that voters care about. And that's how you do it. You donate money to Planned Parenthood. You talk about funding abortion as often as you can. And you tame women in the media who want to come after you. That's the total answer. Well, he's going to talk about the work that his foundation has done around the world to provide access to abortion. Ah, Reproductive services, sorry. Oh, speaking of, I don't know why this jogged my memory. Let me find something over here. Um, Hang on, hang on. That's coming up here. I got. I, I had it at the top of the stack, and I, I moved it to the bottom. Put the Bloomberg stuff on the top, and I've been to the Bloomberg stuff, but I haven't moved the rest of the word. Uh, 
Hang on, it's coming up. It's about the Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts are going out of business, and it's because they've been... Well, where... Ah, yes, here we go. Boy Scouts of America files for bankruptcy after sex abuse lawsuits. I think what jogged my memory on this is here's here's Bloomberg, who has been as unsympathetic to pregnant women as you can find, as as unsympathetic. He's literally told pregnant women who've worked for him to kill it if they want to keep the jobs and not go on some kind of leave and maybe not get the job back. And there has been other forms or types of abuse of women for which he settled and then made them sign NDAs. So it's blatant hypocrisy once again. And it, it, it reminded me, I had this story, Boy Scouts of America files for bankruptcy after sex abuse lawsuits. Now, let's walk back in time a little. It wasn't that long ago that the Boy Scouts did not permit open homosexuality within the organization. And, of course, this made them a target. Now, prior, during all those years, the Boy Scouts of America was never hit with sex abuse lawsuits. There were not rampant reports of Boy Scout masters abusing the members, Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts. You just didn't hear about it. And then one day, and it's 20 years ago or so, maybe 15 years ago, the Boy Scouts of America began to be accused of being uh, bigoted, unfair, intolerant because they wouldn't allow homosexuality and homosexual members, homosexual scoutmasters, and so forth. And they relented. They buckled to the pressure. Now, the Boy Scouts of America has always been a, an organization, if you take it back to its, its founding, it was, a, among many other things, it was an organization that, that taught survival skills. It taught... Uh, well, basically, it taught people, young boys, how to be men. Merit badges, all that. It, 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 the, the whole achievement-based uh, methodology for getting new awards, uh, self-reliance, rugged individualism, working together, all of these great traits. My grandfather was, my maternal grandfather was intimately involved with Boy Scouts. Rex Tillerson, intimately involved with Boy Scouts. A lot of great Americans have been involved in the Boy Scouts. And then, then when, when the demand went up that they end their discriminatory policies against homosexuality, there were some people who said, well, that's the end of the Boy Scouts. Because people feared that that was really just a clandestine effort to compromise the whole organization, much like the Catholic Church. So what does the story say here? The Boy Scouts of America filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection early today. After decades of sexual abuse claims within one of the country's largest youth organizations, the petition filed in Delaware Bankruptcy Court halts the hundred of lawsuits 
The BSA is facing the alleged sexual misconduct by people within the 110-year-old organization over the years. Yeah, when did all this abuse start? I ask rhetorically. Sexual abuse settlements had reportedly strained the Boy Scouts' finances, with states passing laws last year so victims from long-ago abuse can sue for damages. Mike Fow, an attorney whose firm was representing 300 victims in New York as of last April, said the bankruptcy would be bigger in scale than any other sex abuse bankruptcy. You're talking about thousands of perpetrators, said this lawyer. You're talking about tens of thousands of victims. This will be the largest bankruptcy the country has ever seen and likely one of the largest corporate bankruptcies. Sure seems like there's a blueprint here. And it sure seems like it works. They shame normal people into accepting things that they instinctively don't want to accept. And then once that happens, well, there are other institutions you can examine to see what happens. They get sued out the wazoo, and the bottom line is that this organization is going to go, which was the original intent of all this in the first place. Brief time out. We'll be back and continue after this. Don't go away. Okay, we're back, and we have some uh, audio soundbites here from Trump. And there's some additional people that he pardoned here, and he announced it or was asked about it on the tarmac at Joint Base Andrews. Uh, here first is uh, Trump, if he's defending his tweeting, agreeing that it makes uh, Bill Barr's job a little tougher. I do make his job harder. I do agree with that. I think that's true. He's a very straight shooter. We have a great attorney general, and he's working very hard. And he's working against a lot of people that don't want to see good things happen, in my opinion. That's my opinion, not his opinion. That's my opinion. You'll have to ask what his opinion is. But I will say this. Social media for me has been very important because it gives me a voice. The attorney general is a man with incredible integrity. Now, just so you understand, I chose not to be involved. I'm allowed to be totally involved. Totally true. He can be involved however he wishes. He runs the executive branch. Of this, there's no dispute. It's just considered politically eh, dubious to do it, but... Trump's he's not going to stop tweeting. I don't care what anybody wants or says. It's it's the way that he combats the fake news that surrounds him, and he's not going to stop. Now, here is Trump commuting and pardoning. First up, Rod Blagojevich. Yes, we have commuted the sentence of Rod Blagojevich. He served eight years in jail. It's a long time, and uh, I watched his wife on television. I don't know him very well. I met him a couple of times. He was on for a short while of The Apprentice years ago. Uh, seemed like a very nice person. Don't know him. But he uh, served eight years in jail. There's a long time to go. Many people disagree with the sentence. He's a Democrat. He's not a Republican. It was a prosecution by the same people, Comey, Fitzpatrick, the same group. The key name there is Comey. 
Comey appointed Fitzpatrick. This was the group that took down Scooter Libby when he wasn't guilty of anything. And uh, Blagojevich, that's also debatable. But uh, Blagojevich is a Democrat, and he fell on the wrong side of the Chicago Democrat machine. So that's why uh, he went away. But up next, Trump announcing commutations and pardons for Bernie Carrick and Michael Milken. I just pardoned Bernie Carrick, a man who had many recommendations from a lot of good people. You know, oftentimes, pretty much all the time, I really rely on the recommendations of people that know them. Uh, We have uh, Bernie Carrick, we have Mike Milken, who's gone around and done an incredible job for the world with all of his research on cancer, and he's done this, and he suffered greatly. He paid a big price, paid a very tough price, but he's done an incredible job. And, uh, yeah, these are all people that you have to see the recommendations. I rely on recommendations. What's interesting about this, most of the time, presidents uh, issue parts at the end of the year, and some not until the end of a term. Uh, And Trump is uh, announcing these pardons throughout uh, the year any year of his administration. Let me get a quick phone call. Westchester, Ohio. This is J.R. Great to have you on the program. Hi. Hi, Mega Dittos. Thank you. Um, I was just calling because um, Bloomberg has paid Internet influence. Uh, in, I'm so nervous. <laughs> he's, he's, he's paid them to create memes for him to make right. him more popular. And now, all of a sudden, he's not in the polls at all, and he gets um, bumped up to second overnight right before a debate. It just makes it seem like perhaps he's paying Internet, you know, robot farms to, you know, influence the polls. Well, that can clearly happen. Uh, We here at the EIB Network have been the victim of those bots. Uh, We identified the people behind them and were able to shut it down, but there's no question they exist, and there's no question they can be purchased. Uh, She's talking about the Marist poll, and out of nowhere, Doomberg shows up in second place behind Crazy Bernie at 19%, and that, plus a couple of other changes in midstream by the Democrat National Committee, got him on the debate stage tomorrow night. Uh... Had there not been these middle-of-the-stream changes in the rules, Bloomberg would not be on that debate stage tomorrow night. He would not yet have qualified. But because he doesn't have a lot of donors, he is his primary donor. That's number one. And in polling data is is something. And he's, he's vaulted to 19% here. You know, I, I, I'm... Okay, what are Mayor Pete and Biden plugs, Klobuchar, these people, crazy Bernie, what are they going to do about this? They've got to do something about it because they are the direct line opposition now. Drive-by media going nuts now over the announcement of the presidential pardons. Bernard Carrick, Blagojevich, community sentence, uh, Michael Milken. Uh, Well, these are just friends of Trump's or the people that recommended the pardon. They're just friends of Trump's. So why are they doing this? Is Trump announcing these pardons now on the verge, right on the the eve of the Roger Stone sentencing? He's trying to send a message to the judge. You don't care what your sentence, Roger Stone. I'm going to pardon him anyway. So you may as well let him go and so forth and so on. They're just beside themselves with this. 
Meanwhile, Bill Clinton or Barack Obama could pardon whoever the terrorist from Puerto Rico, and it didn't matter a hill of beans. But now all of a sudden they're looking at all of the people who recommended pardons for these people, and they're being ripped to shreds in the uh, in the drive-by media. And it, it's just... It's just, it's another indication of how Trump owns these people. He owns them. He has them in the palm of his hand and can set them off any time he wants to light up a, a fire underneath them. He knows how to play these people to a T. Anyway, uh, Aaron in Peoria, it's great to have you. Welcome to the EIB Network. Hello. Hey, Rush Megadiddo. Thank you, sir. Uh, I got a question for you. I'm curious your thoughts with this attack on the Boy Scouts. What uh, youth organization do you think will be next after the Boy Scouts? There's a lot of good youth organizations out there, and who do you think would be attacked next? Well, I, it, it, it's it's hard to say. Um, it, it's uh, you you just have to keep a sharp eye and to see which one becomes the next target. It's hard, it, it's hard to predict. It depends on the size. It depends on how offensive leftist activist groups think the organization is. Um, and it just... I'll tell you what, you, what you have to do, the question really is, is when it happens, that's when you have to stand up and oppose it. That's when you have to stand up. That's when you have to stand... No, we're not discriminatory. No, we're not unfair. No, we are not being mean. No, we are not exclusionary. We have a certain set of values. We have enforced them since the beginning of time in the organization. We're not going to change them. That's what you have to do when you're attacked as an organization. If you don't, if you buckle... And say, okay, we don't want the hassle, we don't want the negative publicity, come on in. You can count your days. Because the objective is to corrupt your organization. That's what the left does. The left is going to corrupt anything that stands for what have been considered to be traditional American values. That's their purpose. And they do it, and they go after Religion, they go after God, they go after any number of things they consider ideological opponents. Uh, Nancy in Lakewood, Ohio, great to have you with us on the EIB Network. Hello. Hi, Rush. I'll tell you why I called. I just had to call. Because when I heard Bloomberg smash the farmers, I'm an old farm kid. And I started working when I was seven years old. And what I learned on the farm, I learned how to work. I learned how to work hard, be responsible, take care of the land, respect the animals. And that taught me to be a doggone good citizen. And I was ticked what Bloomberg, Bloomberg said. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's the stereotypes that the left has of us are tiresome, and they are worn out, they are mean-spirited and dispiriting. And the idea that somebody that has not been to an Ivy League school or a uh, major institution of higher... And by the way, this is the thing that Bloomberg doesn't even realize. There are entire universities devoted to agriculture. And there are people that go to these schools and graduate, become expert farmers. You're exactly right. You have to know a lot to be a farmer. You have to be able to learn a lot. Um, it's You know, there's an old trick the Soviet Union used to pull. Is one of the differences in communism 
and everything else is that communism says there is no God. There is no God. There's no Jesus Christ. There's no Allah. There's no nothing but the state. The state is it. And the way they would indoctrinate kids in any kind, they do it in China to this day. They still do it in parts of Russia, the Soviet Union. They would get a plant, call it the Bloomberg plant, Bloomberg 1, Bloomberg 2. They get any kind of plant whatsoever, and they would put it in a pot with soil, and they would say, this is the God plant, and they would set it aside over here, and then this is our plant. This is the state's plant. And every day they would water and care for the state's plant. They let the God plant go unattended. Well, what do you think happened? The God plant died. It never got any water. It never got any care. But the state plant prospered. It grew. It uh, blossomed. All these wonderful things. So little kids were taught that God doesn't exist. The plant, depending on God, died. The plant that the state watered and fed and took care of prospered, and this is how they indoctrinated people. And this is this is a, a modern-day version of what the left uh, is attempting to persuade as many people as they can, that God doesn't exist, uh, and that people who believe in God are somehow kooky and oddball and weird, and they happen to be farmers. What do farmers do? They go to church. Farmers pray for rain. Farmers pray for this. They do all of these things. And these leftists have these stereotypical attitudes and views toward people of the soil, people of the dirt. It used to be, this is the fascinating thing, it used to be that those were the people the Democrat Party considered its number one constituents. The farm bill every year was a Democrat Party goldmine. Not to mention the fact that farmers and their constituents were considered the little guy. And now the Democrats have abandoned them left and right on the basis that there's no way a farmer can be an elitist. There's no way a farmer can be smart. There's no way a farmer can in any way understand the sophistication of government policy, liberalism, and this kind of thing. Plus, uh, farmers by definition, are pretty self-reliant. And that makes them an enemy of the Democrats and the American left as well. Here's uh, here's Jim in Memphis. Great to have you, sir. Thank you for waiting. Hello. Good afternoon, Russ. Thanks for taking my call. First-time yep. caller and a long-time listener. And congratulations on your recent award. Thank you, sir. I uh, I just want to make a, a, a comment. I... I notice I work in the air traffic control environment, and I know where the president's going before the general public does. And with him going to all of these typically blue states, uh, California today, uh, I see him, and the thing with Blagojevich today, I see him trying to turn a lot of these blue states red. And uh, I was interested in you, in your uh take on that now i'll be glad to answer that but i need to you're an air traffic controller you said you're in the air traffic control environment are you an actual controller i am not a controller all right but i do work in that environment uh, well i have to tell you there there are a lot of people disagree with me on this but i love you people at atc well we appreciate that i i I literally i think it's i think it's overwhelming what you people do 
in keeping, I mean, these skies are crowded as they can be to keep the separation, to keep everybody on time. I don't think people have any idea what you do. And I know a lot of people, a lot of pilots complain about them because there's no favoritism. You're, you're in line or you're not. You don't, they, they don't bump people. We work in a very, a very difficult environment. And I, if, you, if you know about Memphis, there's a pretty big uh, outfit that operates out of here. Uh, and uh, we, we try to deliver the world on time. Absolutely. FedEx, I know exactly. That's another thing. That business fascinates me. The guy gets a C on a term paper in college establishing FedEx, and look at Fred Smith. And you know his son? His his son is the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans football team. Fred Smith's son is the offensive. Great, great, great. Anyway, uh, you have noticed... You, you've noticed that Trump is going to a lot of blue states, California. I'm I'm so happy he's going to California. I can't tell you. I urged him to do that last summer, last July, uh, last June, to go out there and plant the flag. Not necessarily to win the state of California, but to go out there. It's a one-party state, and there's a lot of misery out there that people don't hear about because all it gets reported on are the wealthy enclaves of the coasts. And Silicon Valley. But man, there's a lot of third world poverty. There are all kinds of homelessness is rampant. Diseases that we thought we cured are popping up now in Skid Row in Los Angeles. And I think it's worthwhile. I I think Trump has. I, I don't want to give anything away because I don't really know directly. I think Trump. I know Trump. I know. I mean, I know him. Without knowing, if I didn't know Trump, I would know Trump. And I'm telling you that he has that all this talk about Bloomberg and all this talk about crazy. The media is always going to talk about the Democrats and their grand plans. Not well, things are good. I think Donald Trump wants one of the biggest, gigantic presidential election victories ever in history. I think you're absolutely right, Jim. I think that's one. And they're they're secretly uh, massing an organization and money and voter turn all re- I don't want to give too much away but I think you've hit the nail on the head uh, with and why not you're running for pre- why not want the biggest landslide in history why not want as many votes as you can get why not want to take it all in the electoral college that's the objective in every other aspect of Trump's life as he's approached it why not this there's no greed here so I think you've hit on something we'll be back don't go away Okay, folks, that's it for today. A reminder, I am out tomorrow, and I don't know yet about the remainder of the week. I don't know if it'll be back Thursday or Friday or both. Uh, A lot depends uh, upon what happens tomorrow, which is when my treatment officially starts. I've passed all the rigorous exams to determine I can handle what they're going to throw at it, so we'll see what comes next. Uh, I'll be back here at some point. Count on that. We'll be right back.